0: Good, Jim? All right. Good morning, brothers and sisters of Pacific Hope Church, and welcome to week seven of the spring Sunday School series, Equipping the Saints, a primer to biblical counseling. It appears as though some of our brothers and sisters haven't yet gotten their clocks reset, but. Uh, We'll welcome them as they come in. Still got a couple of minutes before we get the video started. Um, This week's topic is one that many of us experience from time to time. It's a lack of assurance. And that can kind of run the gambit of of different things that we can experience a lack of assurance in. Um, But primarily, Uh, we're going to be focusing upon uh, assurance in the area of our standing with God himself, whether that presents itself as a concern surrounding our profession of faith or simply that we don't feel as though we're living in his good graces as we once were. Now, over the past six weeks, we've been focusing upon emotional issues primarily, uh, issues that may affect Christians in an effort to search God's Word, to determine how we might help one another to confront grief, to overcome anxiety, deal with our fears, and mitigate our attitudes when things irritate us. And last week, we kind of smushed it all together in order to examine how scripture helps us experience the peace that God wants us to have so that our lives might be a more, a more effective witness to his goodness and his mercy. And ultimately, that he would receive glory in the midst of a lost and dying world. This week, we're going to focus on a topic related less to our emotions and more deeply rooted within our spirit. Now I want you to think back to the moment, if you're able, the very moment that you were convinced of your sins against God. The moment that you were convinced of your need for His forgiveness. And in that next moment as you repented of your transgressions and asked God to give you the ability to follow Christ and trust Christ from that point forward. Was there any doubt in your mind that you were soundly saved? Any doubt at all that his grace and mercy were sufficient to deliver you from the pit that you found yourself in and you so desperately wanted to escape? If you still have doubt, then let me ask you if our study in John's first epistle that we've been going through for the last couple of months, if that's had any impact on your perspective. This whole letter, the series that Pastor Matthew has been teaching through, it's intended so that, spoiler alert, you may know that you have eternal life. And what we've heard and what we'll hear today and over the course of the next couple of weeks are a series of tests that we should each be examining ourselves by in order to determine whether or not we possess eternal life. And if we don't pass those tests, John's writings give us information and an indication of where we stand with God and what to do from there. I know that personally, the morning that I responded to the gospel, I was previously convinced of my salvation for 12 years. I thought I was a Christian. That, In fact, that morning, if you'd have suggested I wasn't, we'd have gone toe to toe. However, the prayer that I repeated when I was 17 was one that was devoid of any understanding of my personal sins against God. That morning, I was convinced by the truths that the evangelist was teaching straight from Scripture. And 12 years earlier, I was enticed by the promise of a better life. But the truth was, the truth that I was brought face to face with that morning when I sat and, and heard the gospel effectually, that was it, was, it was Jesus' promise that we would experience temptation and tribulation, but that he would deliver us from that. He wouldn't leave us alone in that temptation and that tribulation, that he would walk alongside us. And he would, in fact, intercede for me. And from that point forward, I have found my assurance in his word and his promises rather than my own supposed happiness. You see, coming to the realization that the previous 12 years was something different than salvation, that it did upset my, my spirit. But knowing from that point forward that I was forgiven and justified, no longer an enemy of God but a friend, and more than that, truly his child, finally his child, all of that made the previous 12 years seem insignificant because what was important was where I was in that moment and for the rest of my life, assured of my salvation in Christ. Today, in this video that we're about to see, we'll meet John, a former L.A. cop whose faith was shaken because of his struggles with sin. He has troubles with assurance due to the fact that his ability to resist sin doesn't seem to be as strong as it should be. His lack of assurance is the fruit that we've been examining over these past couple of months. And in a moment, we'll see how Dr. Giffords once again digs deeper down to the root of the issue in order to help John confront his sin, that he may be truly transformed. Please pray with me. Father, we lift up your name in praise and worship this morning as we consider the promises you've given us in your word. Promises to never leave us or forsake us. Your promise to love us and to come to us and to make your home with us if we love you and keep your word. Lord, we pray for your forgiveness in any way that we have failed to keep your word. For those that we've sinned against and those who have sinned against us, Continue your sanctifying work in us that we might be conformed more into Christ's image. Replace any doubt that we may have with the faith that you granted us when you called us to yourself. May our minds and spirits be filled with your peace which passes all understanding. In Jesus' holy name, amen.
1: I was with LA County for almost 15 years. I worked in the Antelope Valley. Every single night was a night that you could get hurt depending upon how you conducted yourself and how you you handled what your your training. I remember telling myself, you know, like, if there's somebody dying, you know, I'm I'm gonna lead them to the Lord. My very first day, I was with my training officer. A call goes out on the radio. There was a motorcycle crash and there was this kid he was on a GSXR 1100 he hit this full size car from behind and he puts like this v shaped dent up the trunk all the way to the uh, back of the uh, the back seat when we got up all we saw was this strewn wreckage for like 100 yards probably he was a mess i pulled his thing back he was alive i could see him and he was looking at me like please help me Like, I don't want to die without saying a word, but he was there. And so I got this kid there and I'm thinking, I can't lead this kid to Christ. My training officer's sitting right there. If he sees me doing that, I'm gonna come across soft. Over the course of a few minutes, I could just see his eyes start to dilation that he he was about dead. I just started kind of walking away. I remember telling my wife later, I'm like, man, that guy died and I didn't lead him to the Lord. You know, I felt like such a hypocrite, and you know, like God gave me the very first day to do something that I said I would do, and uh, I didn't do it.
2: John battles with a malady that many, many Christians wrestle with, a lack of assurance. Countless Christians doubt the status of their soul in God's kingdom. As always, this issue is not the root problem. This is merely the presenting problem. Dr. Gifford is going to go digging for those roots. But before he does, if we're going to help someone who struggles with assurance, we need to hear their testimony to make sure that they understand and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ as described in scripture.
3: As I'm looking through John's PDI, there are some things we need to follow up on. The presenting problem is what he believes the problem to be, and this is what he said. He said, I want to have assurance of my salvation. That's something that we can all resonate with, wanting to know that we are safe in the arms of Christ. I hope to bring the word of God to John in such a way that it confirms his position in Christ, and then to set him free into faithful living. Dr. Greg Gifford, Richard. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me today. Today we'll go through the personal data inventory to start off with. That's the form that you filled out. Tell me a little bit about just some of the spiritual background. Are you in church right now? I, I go you know, once, twice a month, and then I, start, I just started going on Wednesdays as well. A guy who's the
1: biblical counselor there, he actually uh, asked me on his own, you know, like anytime come in, we can start doing something. He just seems very passionate about what he does. And so, you know, feel like maybe it's a friendship, you know, Fine. but to also somebody who could uh, guide me
3: biblically. Good. Yeah. I'll bring that up later too that yeah. you'll find the church to just kind of be the long term place for care. Yeah. And so, you know, we'll have these intensive meetings. Yeah. But five years from now, 10 years from now, it's gonna be your local church where you'll find that encouragement, that challenge, that growth. Okay, tell me about your testimony, if you don't mind. You know, when I said, would you say that you're a Christian? Uh, You answered that, depends. So has there been a a point in your life where you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus? I don't have a date. I really don't, but um, God just
1: sort of softened my heart because I've always uh, felt like, you know, well, if I
3: sin, then I couldn't really be a Christian if you were to try to describe jesus to someone who didn't know him how would you do that he is he is god and i mean
1: that's a pretty big thing i mean i I wonder if people really understand that he is god he is part of the godhead and that he became flesh like us and dwelt among us and so i think that the fact that he came down and connected with us in complete humility to be one of us that it's it's easier to have as an example than someone who just tells you how to do it.
3: If you had to put the gospel in your own words to explain it to someone, how would you do that or how do you do that? What's that look like? First, I would just want to know if, if, you know, they understand, you know, they're going to die
1: and where would they go, you know, if they had any concept of that and if they were asking me from a point of knowing that I was a Christian, I would just explain that Jesus was God. He came down. He was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, and then, um died for our sins, miraculously rose uh, from the dead, spoke to many, many people before he ascended to heaven. And um, when he was on that cross, that he paid the price for our sin. So that's been taken from us.
3: After meeting with John, there were some things that stood out to me. First of all, I wanted to hear him describe the gospel. Part of that is because it's so interconnected to assurance. We really do have to understand the gospel to have true assurance, and and the last thing we want to do is give false assurance, but assurance is the manifestation, it's the fruit issue, but it's not the core or the root issue. So what we're going to do is we're going to dig into those root issues, the things that can lead to a lack of assurance, and you'll see for your own life how these are things that can connect to your own lack of assurance. I think what you'll find is that John's story may not be too different from yours.
2: It is so crucial that we do not give false assurance to someone who isn't saved in the first place. and That would be to compound their problem. But now that Dr. Gifford has heard a credible testimony from John, we can start digging. The first root we will explore is the root of sin, particularly ongoing sin. Is there a secret sin in John's life that is the root cause of his lack of assurance fruit? <laughs> John, like countless Christians, struggles with a lack of assurance. Dr. Gifford has established that John is indeed a brother in Christ who now needs help in discovering the why. Why is he lacking assurance? The first place to go digging for the causal root is to see if there is a besetting sin in John's life. And this is no easy task. Dr. Gifford now needs to walk a fine line between dismissing sin and assuring John that sin is not an automatic disqualifier of salvation. Why? Because sin for the Christian is not an if question, it's a when question. Our
3: struggle with sin, it is a thermometer of sort in regard to our position in Christ. And that sin is something that the Bible's gonna say clings to us or besetting might be another word for it. And then we begin to question our identities. Can we really be a child of God and be an individual who's wrestling with our sin? And when we look at 1 John, let me just read for you a couple of verses from here No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. John doesn't say whoever sins, he says whoever makes a practice of sinning, whoever keeps on sinning. If we're wrestling with assurance, we really have to pick up on this, this practice of sinning and keep on sinning. When we when we isolate that to here's here's what our sin can tell us, you know, I sinned again, so I must not be a child of God. When we talk about assurance, one of the things that you brought up is when there's a sin or when there's a battle with a sin that that affects assurance and so I, I just wanted to clarify some of what you meant by that so can you help me understand uh, what did you mean when we talked about you know a sin struggle
1: basically i think that i could characterize my life at a very young age um, as being uh, addicted to pornography pornography has been the biggest problem in my life really since day one it's led me to every bad decision I've made. Sometimes, I don't know, like Lot's wife, I want to turn around and and take one last look at the city, you know, obviously figuratively, but sometimes I desire the sins of the past. It's uh, made me question my salvation. It's made me question whether I want to continue living. It's been a strangle on me my whole life. Sometimes I long for that sin again, and I hate it.
3: Yeah, praise the Lord you hate it. That's God's kindness to you, and it may not yeah. it may not immediately feel like God's kindness to loathe our sin, but yet think of it in, in the other side. When we loathe our sin, when we hate our sin, it's God's way of working change in you. Sin is destructive, and maybe where you're at right now, your life hasn't been characterized by greater Christ-likeness. I don't want to contest that. But yet what I do want to say is when you are born again, you are a new person. Literally that who you were before is dead and you're in Christ now. I want to point out a couple of things about Hebrews 12 Part of what you're seeing here is this sin that clings so closely to us and I think you're you're experiencing some of that. some translations would even say a besetting sin. this is where if you've ever heard this idea of having a vice, you know that we have a tendency or personal sin tendency, it comes from this passage because it's it's this passage that says that we do have sin that clings closely to us, but to eradicate those to remove that as we're running this race and this is intended to be affirmation not so that you feel good but based off of what God's Word says about your life that if you are in that race and you are doing your best to wrestle with your sin to eradicate it to the glory of God that that is indicative of you being a child of God that the race the effort the wrestling that's indicative of God's work in your life it is a dividing line to where I have to say, well, am I willfully rejecting God in my life? But if I'm not, that should bring assurance that I am His. Hebrews doesn't say we look to sin in our our race, meditate on your sin as you run the race. It doesn't say that. It actually says look to Jesus. But yet many times in our sanctification as we're growing to be like Jesus, we're watching the scoreboard of how many times have I sinned today. And that can become such a defeating form of our Christian life because we're thinking, ah, well, I blew it today. But rather what it says is look to Jesus. So it really, in a sense, it's not as much about how much did I sin today, but how much have I been conformed to the image of Christ today? How much have I looked more like Jesus today? So now this is is from God's word, from Hebrews, from 1 John saying to you, John, if you're wrestling with sin, if you're engaged in this race, will you trust what God says about you?
2: Do real Christians fall into sin? Yes, they fall, but they don't dive. And when they stumble, they don't stay in the pigsty. They get back up and they keep running the race of faith. If you're lacking assurance, and if you're in the battle against sin, falling but wrestling with your temptations, then you need to hear that this is normative for the Christian life. There was a key word that John used, hate. He hates when he sins. The Puritans would tell us that this is one of the surer signs that one is actually saved. False converts don't care if they sin. Real Christians, however, hate their sin. John hates his sin, and now he needs to learn how to not feel condemned when he sins. He needs to know that when he falls and confesses his sins, that Jesus is faithful and just to cleanse him from his sins. Now let's go digging for another root. Specifically, a theological root. Perhaps you're like John. Perhaps you struggle to know that you're genuinely born again. Maybe it even terrifies you that you're not adopted into God's family. But may I tell you, it's good that you're terrified. False converts don't care to concern themselves with assurance. It's only the true convert that trembles at the thought of not being with the Lord for eternity. There's another route that Dr. Gifford is now going to explore with John that may be the cause of his lack of assurance, his view of who God is and what he says about us.
3: I'm not here to say, John, you're not that bad, stop. I'm not here to say that. There are things about you that I don't know and things of your past that I don't know. What I am here to say is this is who God is and this is how he views his kids. The psalmist says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the evil. You know what God says about you? He forgives your iniquities. What if I don't feel forgiven? God forgives them when you repent and you confess them. He crowns you with justice and wrath. That's not what it says. Punishment over my sin, it it, it says, uh, he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. There's this component of what God says about us when we go to his word. And it's interesting because maybe we would never verbalize it, but sometimes it's what we're, we're really wrestling with. Our perspective of us versus God's perspective of us. Help me understand a little bit more about your view of God and, and the dominant or the main ways in which you understand Him.
1: I wasn't a very good father to my own children. And so I felt like if my children ever did anything that that made me angry, I would make them suffer a little bit emotionally before I would let them come back. I'd always make them feel like, you know, kind of worthless. And I felt that that's the way God was. And so I would always have to feel like I had to clean myself up. (sighs) And so that's how I became to see my father, God, as if I screwed up in any way. He no longer was the loving father. He was the guy with the white hair and the stick. I just needed to get away before I I got the stick. It would separate me for days at a time from even wanting to approach God. I feared he could forgive me if he had time to cool down. I want God to be proud of me, you know? I I really do, and so sometimes, like, you know, if I feel like I've sinned, I, I feel like, eh, you know?
3: And that's definitely gonna affect assurance if you're seeing that God is all rod and God is all justice and God is all wrath. Because at that time that you sin, you'll meditate on those attributes. You'll be reminded of those attributes. You know, I failed again, I didn't measure up to God's demands for me. I I can't hold his expectations, it's overwhelming. We all tend to overemphasize an attribute of God some of us overemphasize His love, and we forget about His justice. And some of us overemphasize His justice, and we forget about His love, His mercy. You could say maybe there is an overemphasis in your view of who God is, and yet God is a God who takes your sin seriously. And right. that would be true. But yet God also offers a pathway and means for forgiveness, right. and a means for receiving His mercy. Yeah. Don't want to say, well, just forget about the justice of God or his demand for your holiness. We don't want to say that, yet we can also say, but counterbalance it with his love and his mercy toward you. If we were to go back to the New Testament and begin to do character evaluations before people came to Christ, the Apostle Paul would have been a man where we would have said persecutor of the church, murderer of Christians, sinful man, self-righteous, indignant for his own works and flesh. And yet that man is able to say, but at the moment that I became a Christian, something was true about me. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If your life's been marked by those things, at the moment of your conversion, something changed. It's that you're in Christ now. And that, yeah, there was a sinful past there, but the way God views you now is not based off of your sinful past, but it's based off of the work of His Son Jesus applied to you. And I know there may be things that you regret or wish you could have done differently, but see it as this, that God can redeem all of that and use it for His glory and your good.
2: What we think about when we think about God is the most important aspect of a human's life. Do you struggle with assurance? Do you need to not just hear, but actually believe that if you are in Christ, that God is now for you? If you've repented and trusted in God's beloved son, Jesus Christ, then you've been legally and eternally declared righteous. And nothing can change God's legal declaration about you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, not your doubts not your sins, not the voices in your head. Nothing can separate you from God's love if you're in Christ. We will explore how we can get all that joyous fact more firmly ingrained into our heads which will bear the fruit of assurance. It's one thing to hear truths like, nothing can separate the Christian from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It's another thing to have that thought fixed in our thinking, which will drive out all of our fears and doubts. And that means biblical counseling is not a hit and run event. You will discover that your growth is directly proportionate to how hard you work to appropriate these truths and experience the joy that comes from that knowledge
3: to do my best to give you some practical things and what we'll do is we'll start with these things next time we see each other. The first thing that I want you to do is you'll complete the Faith Motivation versus Feelings Motivation Worksheet. So that's number one. Okay so the next thing, I mentioned this earlier, is I want you to memorize Hebrews 12, 1-2. through two. Number three, I just want to expect and anticipate that you are going to be in the Bible regularly, daily. Number four, two categories. One category is your truth. In this category, I want you to write out at least five things that you struggle with, believing about yourself or believing about God. The second category is I want you to write God's truth. And you're gonna counter what God says about himself as opposed to what you struggle to believe about him. Last one, church. Here's what I want you to see. You are a member of the body of Christ. And five years from now, 10 years from now, when there's no biblical counseling taking place immediately, I want you to see that that church is your incubator, it's your safe haven, they are your battle buddies, that it is that church that helps keep you in the love of God. And the next thing I want you to do, not only in attending, is just take general notes about what was said in the preaching. Right. So you can, you're reflecting, you're being intentional to listen. I don't expect this to transform in, in one weekend. But one of the things I am gonna encourage you to is that that's, that's your family, that's your home. You need that church. I need my church. Good. Okay, well, let me pray for us and then we'll be done. Okay. We all need to see an accurate picture of who God is. There are things that John's wrestling that he's the super center. There are things that he's not proud of, yet we know that if he has repented and confessed, according to the scripture, that he is now forgiven. That his identity as a child of God should drive who he is, and that's true for you. God does not see you through the lens of your sins, but through the righteousness of Christ that's been applied to your account. If you're wrestling with these things, it's not magical, it's not something that's extraordinarily complicated. You have to get into how God reveals himself to you and to his word you'll find that there is often this great connection between your engagement with God's word through memorization, meditation, and what you believe about God, or even what you believe about yourself. And when we have that, when we have a clear picture of who God is and who we are in light of who God is according to his word, we are on the road to being transformed.
0: if I'm sinning, I must not be a Christian, right? A clear indication of the importance of focusing on what God's word has to say about us and less on what we may have to say about ourselves or what we may believe of ourselves. If you spend more than a minute or two on social media or reading the news, watching the news, you can get a pretty bad indication of, of who Christians are and what the church is. And if we're being honest with one another, the world's opinions of us don't even, be able, don't even begin to scratch the surface of, of what's realistic. You know, when Paul lays out the, the such were some of us, verses. The world doesn't even realize that we too are are human like them. We too have the same weaknesses, the same foibles, and yet the main difference is what God's word has to say about those who are in him. The promises that it makes for the one who has understood their sin and who has repented of their sin. Those promises that state that we are forgiven, that we still sin, yes, no mistake about it, but that we don't dive into sin, we don't make a practice of sinning, And in reality, we we hate that sin, We, we loathe it, we struggle with it. We don't go into it mindlessly as we once did, that we're still flesh, that we're not yet glorified, and therefore, we still struggle with it. And when it comes to a question of assurance for the believer, that's one area we can look to positively and see an indication of our assurance. The fact that we struggle with it, that we don't give in to it, that we flee from it rather than run to it, that we hate it rather than fail to pay it any mind rather than embracing it as we once did. The last couple of weeks, we've taken some time to uh, get together with one another and share our burdens, get to know one another a little bit better. Um, I see that we're getting a little bit short on time. I want to encourage us to keep on doing that. Um, We're not going to have the time here this morning, but uh, I do want to encourage everyone here. Maybe you've been with us the last couple of weeks. I see a couple of folks that are new, and so this may be a little bit uh, non sequitur. Um, What we're doing is we're, we're getting together with one another and bearing one another's burdens where we're hearing the things that are weighing on each other's hearts and um and i want to encourage all of us to to continue to do that um there have been many people that have come to me afterward and talked about how uh it's been a good time for for them to get some things off their chests and and pray with one another and so i want to encourage us to keep doing that however i want to um I want to get into prayer and uh, prepare us for our worship service. So if you'd please pray with me. Excuse me. Sovereign Lord God, your word instructs us to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but to encourage one another all the more as we see the day coming. And so we gather here to meet together, to hear your word preached, and to fellowship with your saints. We lift up uh, those in our congregation who are suffering with health issues, We ask that you, as the great physician, would provide comfort and grace as they walk through this time of weakness. Lord, that you would be true to your promise to come alongside them. And Lord, we. We, too, stand with them uh, in prayer. Lord, we pray for Pastor Matthew as he opens John's epistle once again to help us understand your will for us, that we're able to overcome our adversary and live in full assurance of the faith that you have given us. May our time spent here today bring glory to your name. Jesus' name. Amen.